0: We live in a really interesting cultural moment when it comes to dads. We live in a moment where increasingly um, culture does not value dads. And in, if you think about how dads are often presented in movies or TV shows, it can be that they're presented or that they're represented as lazy or incompetent or kind of a doofus, someone that maybe on the other side is heavy handed or even absent, we live in this really interesting cultural moment when it comes to fathers. And yet, in contrast to what we might see, increasingly what we notice, especially when it comes to data and research, is that fathers are essential for thriving. They are essential for people to actually thrive as human beings. There's an organization in the U.S. called the National Fatherhood Initiative, and it researches the impact of an absent dad and, in contrast, a present dad. So here's a couple of things that are so interesting about that research. The research shows that when a child is raised in a home without a father present, they're more likely to go to prison, abuse drugs, abuse alcohol, and even face abuse and neglect. These children are seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teenager. And so, this is the consequence of an increasingly devaluing of fathers or fathers that are present or that are absent and abdicate responsibility. We may see cultural narratives that communicate the lack of value of fathers, and yet we find that all of the data. And this is not Christian data. This is just world data. These are people that are looking and going, okay, no, this is not, this experiment is not working. And I want you to understand that fathers are essential for the flourishing of our society. This is how God designed it. God, the creator of the universe, had a plan, and fathers were essential to that. And the truth is we need more fathers and we need better fathers, Now, let me just clarify, because I know some of you in the room, you're like, I'm not a dad. This isn't just biological fathers. This is also spiritual fathers. We need spiritual fathers. In Canada alone, it's reported that 13% of all kids have no dad who is present. 13% of what, 40 million now? 13%, that's a huge amount of children. There are kids right now in your neighborhood, in your sphere of influence, who do not have a dad speaking into their life. And you have the opportunity to be an answer to prayer and spiritually father those kids. Well, what what does that look like? A spiritual father is defined by one website that I was looking at as this, and I think it's helpful. There's someone who cares for us who imparts to us love, identity, spiritual covering, who prays for us and is concerned for our well-being. We need more fathers, biological, spiritual, or otherwise. There's a, a book that I, I want to reference near the end and I'm going to use a couple of parts in that's really helpful by someone named John Tyson who's a pastor in New York City. And he talks about five different kinds of fathers. Five different kinds of fathers. I wanna look at the first four and then contrast it with the fifth. First is an irresponsible father. That is someone who has zero commitment. They just, they roll in, they procreate, and then they roll out and they go, you know what, I'm out. Their responsibility is nothing. They're like, you know what, I did my part and that is it. I want nothing to do with the actual process of raising this child, Second, there's ignorant fathers. There are fathers that just don't know any better and they're unwilling to actually learn and grow. And so they do significant damage as they transmit their brokenness to their kids. Then there's inconsistent fathers. These are the fathers that are so obsessed with winning at work that they forget that they've now lost at home, and they feel this tension. I'm doing all these things. I'm providing for my kids, but I'm not actually providing what they desperately need, and that is a present father. And so then they overcorrect. They're like, I'll buy stuff for my kids, or I'll be present in, in some moments, but it creates this environment where kids don't feel stability, and so it's up and down and up and down, and it does significant damage for kids. And the fourth one is one that you can look at and go, it's like pretty good, like an A-minus or a B-plus, and that is an involved father. They're present and they're involved, but they're often reactive in their parenting. They're the kind of dad that as things come, then they address it. They are not proactive with their kids. They're not actively trying to discern, God, what are you Doing in the lives of my kids, and who are you calling me to invest my kids to to help my kids to become? How are you asking me to invest in a vision of a hopeful future for my kids? And so, for many of us, this involved father that's success. We go, That's great, but there's another level of fatherhood that John Tyson talks about that I think is really important for us to understand, and that is intentional fathers. He defines it as this, the intentional father is deeply invested in discovering who his children are and how he can help them reach their redemptive potential. He seeks to understand the children God has given him and wants to form them into young persons who can fulfill their purpose. He sees parenting as central to his call before God and does it with all of his might. This kind of father leaves multi-generational blessings in the lives of his children. Can you imagine if this was us? Imagine if these were the kind of dads that we became, that we were. Imagine what would happen if we actually aspired to be intentional fathers. And the theme that that it, it raises in this is something that I think is a, a real challenge in our cultural moment inside of the church, outside of it. And that is that I think that for some of us as dads, is we've settled for maybe a version of involved, inconsistent, or somewhere in between, and we've settled for something less than this intentional father. And the tension that I see is that sometimes uh, what happens in the context of families is women have to step up and lead spiritually because men are not. And that's a problem. I think as guys, if we go, you know what, I'm gonna just abdicate my responsibility to spiritually lead in the family to my wife cuz i'm working a lot that is a problem and i want you to to make no mistake about where we are with that 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 is not just this attitude and i've been around that where it's like the man is there to be served the king of his castle i'm not suggesting any of that i'm not suggesting that there's somehow this elevated sense of you know what, dad is the ultimate in every single way, I'm instead saying that if we are to be co-laborers, we should be co-laborers. And we do not get to look at the women in our life and go, hey, you just cover all this stuff, but I'll take care of, I'll make some money and I'll work a little bit. God's invitation is for men to spiritually lead their families Now, does he call women to spiritually lead in their families? Absolutely, but if we go, hey women, you've got this, right? I don't have to do it. I think we are missing something significant. God has given us a unique invitation to lead and serve our families well, and I want you to know that our kids deserve more than a passive dad who hands that off to someone else. And as we look at our fathers and we consider our own father wounds, rather than just being reactive and going, I'm just not going to do the things my dad did, I think instead we are invited to be proactive and intentional and build something better. One of the most profound calls that we have on our life for dads in the room or prospective dads It's to become a dad who faithfully raises children courageously in the way of Jesus. The world desperately needs men to be who God has invited us to be. I want to work through a psalm in Psalm 78 that I think offers us more than just here's what we need to do, but instead also a vision for why that matters so much. I want to look at Psalm 78 starting in verse 4. I'm going to read it entirely, and then we'll work through it. Psalm 78, verse 4, it says this. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children, so the next generation might know them even the children not yet born. And they, in turn, will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. Now notice even how this starts. We will not hide these truths from our Children, I think you could, especially in 2023, camp out exactly here for a long time. We must not hide these truths from our children. We must actually talk to our kids about our faith. We must actually invest in the next generation to talk about what we are learning, our ups and our downs, our learnings, our lessons, our trials, our triumphs, all of it. We don't just get to compartmentalize and go, you know what, at some point, maybe I'll share it, maybe, if they ask. We need to be proactive in that, because here's what I know to be true. If we don't tell them, someone else will. Someone else will fill in the gaps. As they're wrestling with something, going, I don't know what to do, and we're like, well, hopefully you figure that out, they will find someone. And ideally, we would want them to come to us as parents or as a spiritual community that goes, I'm wrestling with this. And instead of us going, yeah, hopefully you figure that out, us walking through as we have learned. I once was talking to a parent in Calgary when I was a youth pastor, and he was really struggling because one of his, his boys was really acting out. And he's like, man, my kid's doing all these boneheaded things, and I'm just struggling with it. And I was like, tell me about what were you like as a teenager? And he was like, oh, I was the exact same. I did all the exact same stuff. And I was like, so what got you through it? And he's like, well, I learned some things and I had to make some changes. I was like, have you ever talked to him about that? And he's like, no, no. No, because I can't share some of that stuff. I'm like, well, if you don't, then what you do is you condemn your kid to repeat the exact same mistakes you made and you don't actually help them to learn what you learn. And then beyond that, like, do you know how significant it is for the kid to be able to look at that ad and going, you understand? Not where it gives permission, like where it's like, who cares how you live? Because I figured out, it, I, I turned out okay, but instead the invitation to something more. See, it's so important for us in the midst of our growth as Jesus followers to actually let our kids into that process. Because what happens is if we don't do that, what what. We encourage, as we encourage our kids just to go to their peers. And a bunch of people that are the same age and, and not with some wisdom, hopefully we figure it out together. Like we say to our kids, you know what, I don't wanna talk about this difficult thing because uh, it's hard. Like I, I go beyond even in our own life. What about stuff that we see around us in the world? We're like, it's, it's uncomfortable having that conversation with my kids, what if it's awkward? Well, would you rather it be awkward or just have your kids not ever talk to you about it and figure it out from somewhere else in a way that does not line up with what you think. The invitation for us is to wade into the awkward is to, is to not hide those truths that we've learned with our kids, and not just our kids, but the next generation. For all of us are responsible for inviting our kids in behind the scenes to go, this is what I'm learning. Now, I am not suggesting that this is where we just unload the dump truck. I've seen parents do that, too. The other side of it, it's like they are sharing stuff about their marriage to their eight-year-old, and you're like, whoa. Like, I, I'm not suggesting that we go the other extreme, Where we just go, hey, so yeah, dad and I had a huge fight because he, like, I'm not suggesting that. Instead, what I'm suggesting is as we are learning and coming through things, are we teaching kids the lessons that God is teaching us? And are we avoiding the difficult things and the awkward things because they are difficult? And if that's the case, I just don't think that God is happy with that. I think instead God's going wade into it. Let me be the one that guides and speaks and gives you words even when you do not have them. Because we know about our cultural moment that if we avoid difficult conversations, other people will not. It's a really challenging moment, certainly as a parent, and there's things for us as parents with our kids in, in school, and we're hearing certain things that our kids are learning, and we're going Oh man, how do we reconcile that with a worldview that puts Jesus at the center and you can't? Well, which is why we're having ongoing, constant conversations. And and I want to just be upfront and honest. There are conversations that we're having with Parker, who is five, that I think we should not have to have at five. And instead of going, you know what, it's so uncomfortable, we go, guess what? We're up. We don't get to go, you know what, they need to change what they're doing. We, as parents, step up into those moments. Because what happens is your kids are taught things. They're constantly being formed by all the voices. They sit on devices or they're around people and they're formed in ways and you find yourself going, wait a second, I don't believe that. But how do they know what you believe? What process are you inviting them into of forming and shaping them in the way of Jesus? Because we have to be people that actually give the next generation filters and helpful tools to navigate all of the tumult and challenges and things in opposition to the way of Jesus. We can't just say, hopefully you figure it out. Instead, we need to be proactive and lead with vision. It's such a challenging moment as we find increasingly people drawn or exposed to information long before they should be. And I think the invitation for us is to step in courageously. We are responsible for forming and counterforming. Counterforming language is helpful because we understand, like all of us, if you go down the rabbit hole in U- on YouTube and you end up watching a bunch of really negative stuff, what does it do? It changes your attitude. It changes your mind. Now, you might be intellectually strong enough that you're like, you know what, that's not gonna impact my view. This guy's crazy. This person's nuts, whatever. But, but kids don't have that filter. So they're taking things and going, I don't know, it must be true, and it's shaping and form them, forming them. And part of our responsibility as parents and as the older generation is to look at our kids and going, are we helping to counter-form them in the way of Jesus? In a culture of post-truth, Where truth is relative or does not exist? Where where we've redefined all sorts of things? Do we love them enough to tell them the truth? Even if it stands in the face of cultural narratives. Like even just in that one verse of not hiding the truth from the next generation, we find so much. And then he continues. And we will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord. About his power and his mighty wonders. Stories are powerful. Stories shape our beliefs. There are all sorts of, there's all sorts of research around sermons that, that as soon as you tar, start telling a story, people zone in because we're a people that value stories. Stories shape our beliefs. They talk about what we value. They talk about what we, what we think is important. The stories that we repeat shape how we view everything around us. Storytelling is a powerful tool for shaping people, especially for kids. And the invitation for us is to tell great stories, to tell the next generation about God's glorious deeds, his power, and his wonders. And for some of us, that's more natural than others. For some of us, you go, ah, it's harder for me to find stories or to see things or to say things. But are we all consistently looking for opportunities to share with the next generation where we have seen God at work? Are we consistently doing that process of noticing God and then telling those that come before, or come after us? And even more so, I think it convicts a little bit because you go, have you seen his power? Have you seen his wonders? For some of us, it means living our life differently, living in a way where we actually experience those kind of stories, not settling for this comfortable, complacent Christianity that does not look like the way of Jesus, and instead living a life that is different, not settling into a calm and unremarkable life where we just go through the motions. No more. Let us be the kind of people that God can show up in significant ways, that we live life with faith and risk and boldness and courage. Let our kids, the next generation, see a group of people, not just their parents, but people that live like this. I think so often, and I see it all the time, how we just settle into this rhythm of succeeding and winning at the wrong things. And so what does it look like for us to actually live the kind of life that God can show up consistently in power through? And as that happens, as God shows up, we tell our kids. We tell the next generation of the miraculous things, the unexpected, and often in the ordinary those moments where God breaks through and interrupts our our standard operation and does something unexpected, big or small. But notice in the midst of that, who are we celebrating? It is not us. It's not going, look at me, I'm a man of faith, I'm living courageously. Instead, we celebrate God, not us. Now, let me just remind you, those of you who are performance-driven, you're like, I'm going to do that this week. I'm going to crush it at that. And then what happens when you're like, I'm going to crush it at that, and then it doesn't work the way that you want it to work? I want us to reframe success not as whether we have markers of whether it is effective, but instead success as simple obedience and surrender. Imagine if we actually taught our kids that success is doing what God says every single moment of every single day. Imagine how that would change the next generation and then generations beyond if we actually lived like that was true. That we lived and we believed that God could show up, but even when he didn't, we would see how he was at work guiding things. Even when we didn't feel all the tinglys and the feelings that we think we might feel because the reality is that most of our life feels very ordinary. What if we made room in the ordinary moments for God to do something extraordinary? What if it was big and what if it was small and our kids actually saw every bit of it? The Psalm continues, for he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children. So the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. This is the responsibility of every single generation, young and old, each generation passing down to the next. And what are we teaching? We are teaching God's way of flourishing in life. In contrast to all the things that they are taught, where it's like success is this, flourishing in this, happiness is this, we have this other framework that goes, this is God's design for all of it. And you can spend your whole life writing against it and feeling like sandpaper, or you can fall in line and live your life in freedom according to what God is guiding us into. God has a way of life that may seem foolish to the world, but it's how we're designed, life as it should be. But it also means as adults that we need to live in alignment with that, actually know what God is inviting us into, and then live as if that is actually true. We cannot teach what we don't know and what we are unwilling to learn. We are called to invite the next generation into a life of meaning and purpose. This is the way of life. And we, just like I mentioned last week, we must not abdicate responsibility for this. We can't hope that someone else will do it, someone else will come. Instead, we have the opportunity to teach the next generation about the ways of Jesus. And as we do that, it has a cascading and multiplying effect through generation after generation after generation. I think about even in my own life, the impact of multiple generations faithfully and not perfectly, but faithfully following the way of Jesus and the impact it has in my generation. Why is this so important? In verse seven, so each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. We do all of this so people set their hope again in God. Setting your hope anew in God is about rejecting this process of setting our hope in our circumstances and our situation. And instead, this regular and ongoing process of going despite what I see, yet I will trust you, God. Our kids need to see that. They need to see the kind of life that in the face of difficulty, that difficulty does not cause us to shrink back, but instead go, God, my yes is on the table. My hope is in you again. I trust you even when I can't see it. That is so needed. It is needed forever, but it's certainly needed right now. Because for so many of us, if we're to be honest, if we actually did an inventory in our life, we go, where do I notice hope in my life comes from? And we'd know the right answer is God, but if we were looking at our life honestly, we'd go, you know what? Sometimes my hope comes in my bank account. It comes in my external affirmation. Did my boss tell me I did enough? Did my coworker tell me that I'm good enough? Did I get enough people engaging on my post on social media to tell me that I feel good enough? We put our hope in all sorts of things, and instead we're invited to put our hope anew in God and invite the next generation to do the same, not forgetting his glorious miracles. Our tendency is so quickly to forget what God has done. If we look through the Old Testament, we'll see it with the Israelites, and we can see it in our own life. God does something amazing, and we're like, yes, and then something difficult happens, and we're like, where where are you, God? God. Where are you? How's this gonna work out? And instead, we're reminded to reflect back so that we can be reminded that God is at work in the process. We have to become the kind of community that can remind each other where God has been at work. We tell stories about impact and answers to prayer to remind us and encourage us to set our hope again in God. But also in this we find, so we don't forget his glorious miracles and we also obey his commands. We can't desire the benefits of God without actually also desiring the will of God. And I know for some of us, we're like, I want God's will. But what do you do when your will and his will, there's some tension? Well, typically what we do is you go, God, I'm gonna do what I wanna do and just hope that you bless that. Like I just... I I hear you, but I'm just gonna go, I probably wasn't you, and I'm just gonna do my own thing. We can't experience the benefits of what it means to live in God's way of life without actually embracing his will for our life. We have to live lives of obedience. Again, it's not enough to just hear what he says. We must actually do it. And if we do this, the psalmist says in verse eight then, Of the next generation, they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. We have the opportunity to chart a different way forward. And the consequences of us not doing that is that we see a generation that is living exactly like this, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful. And we can set a different path as we live as if this is actually true, as we share everything that we're learning with the next generation, as we take this intentional parenting, and especially fathers, if we take on an intentional role to be proactive in deciding, what is your vision, God, for my kids? What are you inviting me into? And if we don't do that, what we find is is that, that people are stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, and then they refuse to give their hearts to God. There are stakes to us not stepping up in our divine call to Father. And we can't outsource the discipleship of our kids and hope that someone else will do it. We are the primary disciples of our children. And here's the convicting thing, certainly for us as parents But if you represent, if you're a a stepdad or a father-in-law or an adopted dad or a spiritual dad, that what we do, they do. We can say all sorts of things, but the way that we live shapes how they actually live. So for example, if you do not pray, guess what? Our kids will not become people of prayer. And we don't get to look at someone else and going, well, hopefully in kids' ministry they sort that out Instead, the invitation is for us to go, are we people of prayer? Are we people that our first response when things are stressful is to pray? And more than that, just not to pray by ourselves, but to involve our kids and go, hey, we wanna pray together. Lee has done a spectacular job of that. And one of the things that we've done as we've tried to discern God's leading, certainly around collective, and we've looked at buildings or spaces, is we take our kids and they pray with us. And so we go, because what we believe is that as we model that, also when God shows up, we can go, remember when we prayed? And it's not just, remember when mom and dad prayed or dad prayed by himself in the quiet? Instead, the invitation is to live and model it differently. Or if we are people that live at a pace that is unsustainable, how would we ever expect our kids to live at a pace that is sustainable? If we, don't, if we don't take Sabbath seriously and rest well and actually create space to model to our kids that, that God's way is better, then they will repeat the exact same things that we have. If we don't fast and actually remind ourselves that I'm weakening my body and strengthening my soul, then how can we expect our kids to do the same Or even if we look at our lives, if we don't live passionately and courageously, how can we expect our kids to do something different? If faith is not central to our life, if Jesus is not the most important thing about us, how could we ever expect it to be true for our kids? Let this not be us, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful. And in terms of the men in the room, let us not be that, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful. Let's be men who actually give our hearts to God. Because the truth is, we need steel in our spine for what's coming next. And this is not just me going, well, it's really scary. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful because the church has always thrived when it is counter-cultural what's happening around. But it requires Christians to actually look different. And it requires men to actually lead in their families. If you look at Jesus' servant leadership, we don't wield power, we serve our families. But we do not want to win at work and lose at home. And if we're the kind of dads that look at our kids in 18 years, we go, I don't know what happened. I, I just, I, you know, I thought, I thought mom headed. I think that that's wrong and I do not think God's happy about that. I believe wholeheartedly that we, as, as men and women, mothers and fathers, need to be co-laborers together, reproducing who we are in Jesus in our kids. Now, does it look like this? Everything's simple? No. It looks like this. And you're going, I don't know, is this working? Are we? But don't give up. Don't settle for something less. Let's call out the lies that we see around us that are, asked, that are talking to men in a way that they should not be talking to men and instead look and see God has given a divine mandate for men in this church to lead well, to live courageously, to be people of passion, to actually believe that what God says is true and to live like God is at the center of everything. Everything. We need courage and we need boldness in this cultural moment that we are heading into. We need both both grace and truth. And so I want to call on the men in this church to step into what God is asking us to do. Because in the midst of a culture that devalues and diminishes and tries to redefine all sorts of things, We have the opportunity to actually live like the way of Jesus is the way of life. And so my encouragement for each of you is do not give up, do not settle, do not grow weary, do not get comfortable, do not buy into the lies that succeeding according to the world standard is better than succeeding according to what God has invited us into. And I want to just communicate, too, that my heart is not just to challenge, but also to equip. And so one of the things that I want to do, and I need to figure out exactly some details, but this book, The Intentional Father, this, a practical guide to raise sons of courage and character, and I think sons or daughters, one of the pieces at the very beginning is it, it talks about actually dealing with our own junk, Because the reality of parents, whether you're a parent right now or you want to become a parent, is that there's things that your kids do that you're like, oh, well, that's me. (laughs) That's mine. Some that are really good. Some that you're like, oh, no, not that. And so I think there's two things that we need to be doing. Number one, I think as men in the room, we need to be working through that stuff. And so I want to create space for us to do that. And be courageous. I'm not asking us to share stuff that's not there. I'm just going, let's not repeat the same things. And let's not just go, you know what? It'll work itself out. It will not. Let's be people that, are gro- that, that actually want to grow. One of our values is growth. So let's take that seriously. And so I want to create some space for men specifically. And I, wanna, I want us to invest in each other and deal with some of that stuff. The other part is, for, for dads in the room, there's some really, 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 really good stuff in this that I want us to do together. There's some men in the room right now, dads in the room, that have gone before, that have, that have son, raised sons that are older, and I want to be in a room with them and those that are new and those that, that are, that all of this is brand new and they're not sure what they're doing together, growing together, challenging each other, because I am convinced that the future of the church hinges on it. And so I I don't wanna just say, hey, we should do that. I want us to do that. And so you can look out for some more information because I wanna take this and I wanna put it into practice. And the truth is that even in this room right now, it's the reminder that if we are to fulfill what God is asking us to fulfill, we desperately need God, our heavenly father, to father us. I mean, some of us have significant father wounds in the room. And we can do our best to just push them down and go, oh, they'll just sort itself out. They will not. I mean, the the reality of this room is that I know that most of us have some father wounds. And rather than just saying, you know what, my dad was the worst instead, we go, okay, God, who is perfect, actually wants to heal and redeem and restore how we view dads, and then the challenge is for us, and I want to encourage you in, the, in, in this Father's Day to, to actually be specific in calling out the things in your dad that were meaningful and significant. Here, here's what I notice about our culture. We're really, really specific with criticism, and we're really general and vague with encouragement. So we're like, hey, let me write this long post or email about the 14 things that this subway did wrong. Or let me just, let me be a scathing, scathing tweet on someone. Or let me talk to someone and just really make sure they feel small and insignificant. But when we go to someone that's done a good job, we go, hey, good job, man, killing it. And you're like, what does that mean? Like, what do I do with that? Hey, yeah, knocking it out of the park. You're like, I, what? I wasn't playing baseball. Like, but do you notice that pattern? Why? Because it's uncomfortable. Because we feel awkward and we're not sure how to respond. So what if we go out to someone and we're like, hey, so for example, our dad. Like I think about, I think about my dad. And my dad, had, but my dad had lots of challenges. But then there's other pieces. And I've sat down with my dad and I've talked about the impact that he's had in my life. And there's the awkwardness of, you know, how do I receive this? But there's this real part, especially as parents, that you're wondering, am I doing a good job? Like, did it make a difference? And so to be the kind of community that calls that out, am I trying to say the act like your dad is perfect? No. No. But if stories shape who we are and who we become, what if we tell those, the positive stories and make them loud? Make sure that we're clear about the times that we say, listen, thank you for this and that. I think about the, the spiritual dads in my life and the other, I think specifically about my grandpa who became in many ways like a dad to me and there being one moment that he, that he stood up for me when I felt like I was on my own. And before Lee and I got married, he was sitting with us and... My grandpa always demonstrated his love for me. He didn't always say it. And we had these, this powerful moment before he passed away of him sharing all these things and speaking into my life. I will treasure that forever. And so what if there's an invitation for us to do that with our dads? I also recognize that in the midst of this room, there are a bunch of people who are dads, and I think alongside of them, we need to be praying for each of us who are trying to figure out how to, how to lead our families and kids well and love them well and show them Jesus. And so I wanna do something practical. I wanna just invite everyone who is in the room who is a dad to stand up for a moment. I know for some of you, you're like, please, why are you doing this to me? Because I love you. So stand up, stand up where you are. And I wanna invite everyone else in the room uh, to just, if, you can, if you're close enough that you can put your hand on this dad, do it. Uh, but if you aren't, you can just extend your hand out. And we're gonna pray for these dads. And I wanna pray for them and I wanna pray for future dads. God, I am so grateful that you invite us to, to father and to invest in the next generation. God, forgive us for the times that we've settled for something less. Forgive us for the times that we have not listened to you and done what you ask us to do and instead just tried to do something our own way. God, give us courage. Give us steel in our spines to lead our families well, to lead our kids well, to love them enough to have difficult conversations, to to talk to them about what you have done in the past and what you are doing in the present. God, I pray that in the midst of a culture that maybe would devalue or or undermine fathers, God, would you stir in us something more. Give us vision. God, help us to see our kids. Help us to not settle for simply being an involved father, but instead an intentional father that puts all his effort, all his resources, all his work into raising children that courageously follow your way of life, Jesus. God, in the midst of everything that we are going through, we need you. Help us not to shrink back, but instead in obedience to follow you wherever you're guiding us. God, help us to speak encouragement specifically into each other and to challenge each other to move forward in everything that you're asking us to do. God, we love you. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to respond in worship, but while the worship team comes up, I want to just pray briefly for the men in the room. God, for all of the men in the room, those that are dads, those that are spiritual dads, those that wanna be dads, those that wonder if they can, or maybe even those that wanted to but but are not a dad, God, would you give each of us, the men in the room, courage to lead well, to be servant leaders, to not lord what we have and act like it is all about us, but instead to surrender to you and your guidance. God, if we have the privilege of being married, help us to be co-laborers with our wives, not in opposition and not where we abdicate responsibility, but where together we build stronger families that change our area. God, I pray for our kids and the next generation that we would be people that actually tell them of the praiseworthy deeds of God, that, that we would tell people about what you have done in the past, that we would live lives where we see your wonders and miracles, even in the midst of leading ordinary, seemingly lives, would you break in? God, give us courage. Strengthen us. Guide us. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.